following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, Thessalonians is a little letter on the right-hand side of your Bible on the, in the New Testament. Um, so if you uh, have trouble finding it, so table of contents is there for Go ahead and do that. It's kind of hard uh, taking communion when we took communion because some of us were like, all right, see you later. I'm going to lunch. Um, and you probably didn't know, but a couple people did. I'm just kidding. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4. As you're looking there, uh, if you are new here, maybe you're like, I, I missed the first three chapters. You're okay. We have all the messages at communitygospelchurch.com, but we're going to catch you up to speed uh, to get some context Paul is our author. He is with two individuals. He is with a, a man named Silas or Salvanius, and then he is also with uh, somebody that he is mentoring. His name is Timothy, and they are writing to a church uh, called Thessalonica because back in the day uh, when the church first started, they didn't name churches like Community Gospel or uh, New Hope, or they didn't have these catchy names. What they did was they just named the church based off the town uh, that it was in. So 1 Thessalonians is Thessalonians. They're writing to the church in Thessalonica. And these are all believers who are gathered together. And in chapter 1, three words uh, pop up that I think are so important as uh, we continue our study. And that is faith, love, and hope. These Thessalonians have faith. Faith in what? Jesus Christ that he came, that he died, and that he rose again, and they believe that he is returning again soon. So they have faith. Then love is the love that they have for the Lord. They're transferring their love from the world over to the Lord. They're, they're falling more and more in love with Jesus, men and women, by the way. Because sometimes when we talk about falling in love with Jesus, we think it's kind of a feminine thing. But guys, you can love Jesus just like girls can. And then that causes them to have a hope in the fact that Christ will come back again. And so uh, Paul is writing to this church who loves the Lord and are realizing that there's persecution coming on not only them as individuals, but as the church because they're passionate about making Christ known. So they are, they're preaching the gospel. They're saying, hey, those of you that don't have Jesus need to come to know Jesus. And those of you who have Jesus need to be encouraged to continue to share Jesus. And as that happens, persecution and pain and problems come, and Paul just wants to encourage this church. He also finds it necessary to defend his ministry because some People are looking at him and saying, your leader, Paul, who helped plant this church, isn't really a good leader. And um, I, I don't know if it's the original Hebrew, but I think it's close. It, it says, haters going to hate. 
So that's kind of what Paul's saying here. So he's saying, I know who I am. I know my purpose. And you just go on hating because here's the deal. Jesus is real. And he really died. And he really rose again. He's really coming back again soon. So the end of chapter 3, Paul prays uh, that Christ would continue to strengthen the believers, make them blameless and holy. And really last week what we talked about was how Christ uh, works and thrives in the church. So we talked about the assembly of believers, all of these people who are gathered. Now, in chapter 4, Paul is going to focus on an individual's living in relationship with Christ. So he's going to talk about three traits here in the first 12 verses of Christian living. Now, in the New Testament, there's tons of traits about what it looks like to be uh, walking with the Lord in a God-honoring way. There's a lot, a lot of verses in there. We're going to focus on three today that Paul talks about in uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 4. So let's talk about uh, the first one, and that is holiness. And let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Big numbers are the chapters. Smaller numbers are the verses. Finally, brothers... We ask, not only do we ask, we urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk. Now, if you read um, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul talks to the church of Ephesus and he says, you should walk in a way that is honoring to the Lord. Go read that this week uh, as you see him elaborate on that word walk. But he says here, walk and please God just as you are doing. That's affirming. And that you do so even more and more. Keep doing the things that you're doing. That's what he says. Verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through Jesus Christ. Was it my opinion? Gave it to you through Jesus. This is the will of God. That you be sanctified or set apart for a specific purpose. How so? That you be sanctified and set apart by abstaining from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passions of the lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. That no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things. That sounds kind of Marvel-esque. We had it first. Just saying. All right. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, verse 7. God has not called us to impurity. God has called us to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregard not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Everybody say, whoa. Those are some strong words from Pastor Paul, okay? And as he talks, he is talking about holiness. Now, let's start at verse 1 through 3, and let's walk through that text just a little bit. Paul uses the word finally, not as a close to his letter, but he's going to introduce to us a final major section. These closing chapters deal with a few things. If you look back, chapter 3, verse 10, that are lacking in the Thessalonian believer's faith. And so Paul says here, I want you to live a certain way because of the inheritance that you received. If you got a check from somebody who was in your family, who gave you a significant amount of inheritance, you would not just put that away in an envelope and say, I'll I'll use it later. You would use it. And not only would you want to use it, the people who gave it to you would want you to use it. Same is true in our relationship with God. He says, I've given you inheritance in Jesus Christ. I want you to use it. 
I don't want you to just put this thing away, have a get out of hell free card so that when you die, you look at me and say, hey, uh, I, I prayed a prayer, got baptized, things are good, right? And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. You got to be really careful with that. These weren't suggestions, but notice verse 2. Paul gave them by the authority of Christ. It says, through the Lord Jesus. This is not a suggestion. And it should come naturally. As believers have a Holy Spirit-driven desire to please the Lord. It says, he chose us. Isn't that great? He chose us. He wants us to live this way after we come to know him personally. Now, notice, Thessalonians, doing a pretty good job. Like, if I got this letter, I'd be like, oh, I'm doing great. But he says, let's keep doing great. He says, let's keep on pressing forward. Verse 10, more and more, he says. Now, here's the crazy thing. Sometimes as believers, we want new truth. But really, in reality, what God wants us to do is to carry on doing old truths in excellence. And so in doing this, the Thessalonians would be sanctified. And that word sanctified, if you want to circle that in verse 3, means holy or set apart. Holiness is a process. It continues through every believer's life on earth. As God is preparing a place for us in heaven, guess what? We are preparing ourselves for an eternity with him. And so here, uh, God takes our old patterns and behaviors, and he transforms them into his standards and will. He's making us more and more like Jesus through trials, tribulations, good times, bad times. Paul gives a standard for holiness here that is going to make us shake a little bit. But his standard in regards to holiness is in regards to sexual purity on earth. Paul starts to unpack what it looks like to be sexually pure. He says, abstain from sexual immorality by exercising self-discipline that was enabled to you by God's Holy Spirit. You want to look different than the world? Don't participate in anything that is sexually impure. That's basically what he says here. As believers, we abstain from any and every form of sexual practice with our minds, with our eyes, with our ears, with our hands, and with our feet. We run from that stuff. You know, it's funny. Uh, we used to do uh, youth ministry a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And as uh, we were talking to teenagers, teenagers always want to know, how, how close to the line can I get, right? Like, teenagers are like, hey, hey, Pastor Jordan, how, how close can I get? Here's the deal. Why do we talk about how close we can get to the line instead of how far we can run from the line? That's what we need to be talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, don't even entertain any of that stuff. Don't even get close to it. Run away from sexual immorality. The word sexual immorality in the Greek is the word pornea, which is where we get our word pornography. And he says we run away from that stuff as believers. Now, in Thessalonica, it's kind of like America. There's an extremely pagan culture. And sexual looseness wasn't just practiced openly, but it was encouraged. As a matter of fact, Greek priests considered prostitution a priestly rite and extramarital affairs an act of worship. I can't even imagine going home to Bethany and be like, this is Carol. Bethany would kill Carol. Like, that's not going to happen. But people not only uh, said this is okay, but they encouraged it. They looked at it. It would not be uncommon for a man to come home with another woman and be like, oh, no, this is an act of worship. Now, we look at that and we laugh about it, but this is where our society is going. And here's the other thing. Some of you guys, you're engaged in those relationships behind closed doors by the things that you're staring at on screens. 
So we got to be really careful about what we put in because integrity is who you are in the dark as who you are in the day. And so if that's where this society was, our society's creeping closer and closer to that. And Paul says we don't live reckless, verse 4, like the Gentiles. And if you look at verse 4 and 5, when he says like the Gentiles, he's saying we do not live like pagans live. We learn to control our bodies through discipline and in God's power. Well, Jesus talked about that, didn't he? He's talked about radical amputation. He says if your right, right, uh, your right arm causes you to, to sin, then you should cut it off, which is encouraging to me because I'm left-handed. He says if your eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out. Jesus isn't talking about actually cutting off body parts. He's saying if something causes you to sin or to stumble, then you throw it out. That could be a cell phone, a computer. You can live without those things, I promise. It is possible for us to eliminate the things of the world so that we can pursue godliness. And sometimes control means enlisting the help of another person. Gentlemen, this is where you look at your wife and you say, hey, I need you to complete me. I don't need to compete in this stuff. I need your help. This is where we need to put some things away that are of the world and put forward the things of God. So how does that look? Well, Paul doesn't specify some things, but he does give three implications starting at verse 5. He says, first of all, you can't do this on your own. This is so encouraging to me. He says, you cannot be holy apart from your relationship with God. Believers overcome when we know God through faith in Christ. Gentiles or heathens give in to sexual impurity because they don't know God personally, even though they may know about God. As believers, our attitude towards sexual purity changes when we live in faith. Now, here's how this looks in practicality. Some of us want heathens or pagans or non-believers to conduct themselves as believers, and we're trying to get them to conduct themselves as a believer when we haven't communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So if you want to change some things in this world, you have to, first of all, be unapologetically unashamed of the gospel that lives in you and give that over first and foremost. So if you're trying to change some things, it might be blocked because that person's heart might not be transformed. So you got to start with the gospel with everybody. And here's the deal. you got to start with the gospel for unsaved pe- or people that may be saved too, right? Amen? There's a lot of people that profess Jesus but don't know Jesus. And so we discover God gives us the ability to resist sexual temptation that we have before. Knowing God through faith in Christ is a basic to living a holy life. In other words, no Jesus, no holiness. N-O, no Jesus, no holiness. K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no holiness. All right, that's how that works. Now, number two, in verse six through eight, he says, if you fail to do this, you're welcoming God's judgment. Here's the other thing that we're not communicating with people. (laughs) Like, when the disciples are walking with Jesus, they look at Jesus and uh, they have some problems with the Pharisees. The Pharisees uh, look at the disciples, and basically they pick on them, and they call them names and all that other stuff. The disciples look at Jesus, and they say, Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven to eliminate these people? It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, because if I'm being honest, I pray this for people all the time, and I ask for forgiveness right after I'm done. But Jesus looks at me and says, no, 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 not, not, not yet, not yet. He says, but you can tell them about it, which is kind of awesome. See, Paul uses the word brother in verse six, uh, in verse six, excuse me, and we think he's talking a term of endearment about the church, but here he's speaking of another human being. He's talking about people, and regarding sexual impurity, he says not only is 
the victim wronged, but the person committing the act of impurity welcomes God's judgment. So Paul says sexual impurity does two things. Number one, it is a sin that God will judge, and we as a church need to be open about that. We need to tell people, hey, this is a sin that God will judge. And number two, it goes against everything God calls us to do as believers. Look at verse 7. God has not called us for impurity. He has called us to be holy. So that means that everyone who fears God's wrath strives to obtain from sexual immorality because God's judgment follows such sin. Now, here's what's really funny. People in society say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't tell people about the wrath of God. You can't tell kids about hell. Excuse me? It's all throughout the text. Jesus talks about it all the time. Well, you'll scare them into eternal life. Sometimes our kids need to have the fear of God in them just like we need to have the fear of God in us, right? There are some things that I don't do straight up because I just don't want God to call down fire from heaven. Just don't do it. And you're like, well, you don't do that because you're scared. A hundred percent. And I pray that you would be the same way. That's not only good theology, that's also mom and dad good parenting. Now, I'm not saying go home and and, inflict the wrath of God upon your kids. If you hear that, you're not hearing the right thing. But God does judge sin. He always does. Thank the Lord that as a believer, it's covered under the blood of Christ. So, Paul says, hey, don't be scared to talk about judgment. Number three, verse eight, he says, embrace this Holy Spirit living. Paul reminds us again and again that God has given believers the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit has enough power to enable any believer to learn how to control their body, even in the most pagan and immoral cultures. Now, the Holy Spirit enables, but you have to allow it. There's a lot of times where the Holy Spirit wants to do great work in your life, but we look at it and we say, no, I'm not real fond of that. I'd rather scroll through my Facebook account. There's some times where the Holy Spirit's like, hey, I want you to do something amazing today. I want you to walk across the room, and we're like, no, nah, I'm kind of comfortable. You know, the other night, uh, it was Friday, uh, we were at the Bremen football game, and I was sitting there, and there was a couple of people who I haven't talked to in a long time, and they were sitting over there, and I kept thinking to myself, I'm not going over there, God. He's like, Jordan, get off of your duff and go over and say hello. And after about five minutes of me fighting with God, I just got up, I walked over, I said, hey, how you guys doing? We had one of the best edifying conversations. The Holy Spirit will do a great work, but you got to get off of, okay, verse 9. <clears throat> All right, so number one, holiness. Let's, let's pursue holiness. Verse 9. <clears throat> For what thanksgiving, uh, oh, excuse, excuse me, I'm in the wrong spot. Uh, now concerning brotherly love. <laughs> Paul's going to talk about how we do in loving each other. Man, this is going to hurt today. I'm sorry. Um, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. I love this. Their reputation precedes them. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Paul doesn't let them off the hook. He knows if he lets them off the hook, uh, it's not going to be a good thing. Verse 11, aspire, oh, I'm too far. Let's stop at 10. Let's talk about brotherly loves. So Paul moves from sexual purity to loving other believers, and this is loving your neighbor as yourself. This is all throughout the New Testament text, all right? The 10 commandments break down into two categories. Number one, first four talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Second six, talk about how to love your neighbor or your brother as yourself. Who is my brother? My brother is anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet. Verse nine, Paul says this is a command and it is taught to us by God. So Paul didn't need to teach or write the Thessalonians about brotherly love. It seemed that they learned that lesson from God himself via the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The word love here is the word Philadelphia. It's the kind of love that binds people together. It's that song we sang last week, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, which some of you didn't know, which is amazing to me, because Bill and Gloria Gaither are going to be just like leading the charge in heaven. I believe it with all my heart. Um, For those of you who are like, I don't know who Bill and Gloria Gaither is, you need to go Google that today. That's your assignment. Paul says, you who know Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's, this is big for some of us. What is happening and transpiring in Thessalonica is some people are coming to know Jesus and their family's abandoning them. They're taking off. So they're finding themselves just empty. They don't have any friends. They don't have any family. And Paul says, this is your friends. This is your family. It's kind of similar to Jesus' words when they looked at Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, your mom needs something. And he says, my mother and my brothers, these are my mother and my brothers. And what he's saying is he's saying, hey, Underneath the Holy Spirit, we are in the family of God. So when he talks about brothers, he's saying, you guys, your church is your family. This this body that you have here, this is your family. In New Testament, the word Philadelphia is faith relations, the family of God. Remember, brotherly love among God's people was a trademark of the first church. We're supposed to love one another. All right? I think you guys do a good job at this. I really do. So not only does sexual purity set believers apart from culture, but love for one another is a mark of holiness. There's a woman out there, her name's Catherine Porter. I love what she says about this. She says, you got to learn this again and again. It's kind of like little kids, right? Little kids don't need to be taught how to steal, lie, and cheat. They're they're really good at it. They're kind of con artists, right? But to learn how to love is a whole different thing. Hate needs no instruction but waits only to be provoked. So if you look at verse 10, Paul didn't need to write the Thessalonians to tell them to love one another. He did need to write to them to say, you need to do this more and more. Keep up with it. The evidence that they learned brotherly love was in their selfless giving affection for believers in other parts of the providence of Macedonia. So who's being affected by their brotherly love? Well, first of all, you got the Philippians. That's another book in our Bible. You got the Berean Jews, and perhaps other towns where believers were present. This is good. This is good news. This is this is this is where people look at us and they say, "You guys love each other well." So Paul celebrated the believers for their love when he wrote to the other churches, but he knew there was always room for improvement. So I just asked this week. I was like, "What's that look like for us as a church? Do we need to start loving or to continue in our love for one another?" I think you know the answer to that. And you got to work on that. All right, verse 11. Closes out the section and he says, uh, I keep wanting to go back to chapter 3 for some odd reason. But verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly. Now this is really important. To aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Verse 12. So that you may walk properly before outsiders And be dependent upon no one. What in the world is Paul saying there? He's saying, listen, as believers, there's three traits of living a Christian life. Be holy as God is holy. Can't do that by yourself. You got to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Love the brothers and sisters in the Lord well. And then he says, be quiet and live a productive life. Well, Paul, what does a productive life look like? Well, he gives three keys to a productive life. First of all, in verse 11, he says, live quietly. Now, the word quiet here, ready for this? This is going to shake some boats. Means quiet in a sense of being restful. In other words, believers in the New Testament were not known for being busy. They were known for just being people who rested, and not in a bad way. They they were restful in regards to the work that was done. They did it for the Lord. When the work was over and it was time to relax, they did it for the Lord. They were not talkative. Paul's telling the Thessalonians, be less frantic. Whoa. Settle down. A person constantly on the move is often a brother or sister who exhausts others as well as has the tendency to become distracted from their own walk with God. Here's the big kicker to the whole thing. Are you a Mary or a Martha? Because Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And she's listening to all he's got to say. And she's taking in every single word, and she's thinking to herself, man, i got to contemplate this. How do I put this in my life? How will I do this? And Martha's just running around, and she's like, who's going to do the dishes? And Jesus is like, dishes can wait. A believer who strives to be at peace with themselves and with God lives quietly and consistently a balanced life and is a source of peace to other believers. In other words, are you that person when people get around you, they're like, oh, man, here we go, something else to do. Are you just are you one of those people that you just live quietly? You are a consistent believer. All right, that hurt enough. Verse 11. <clears throat> Mind your own business. <laughs> this is the Greek, like straightforward. Paul essentially says, uh, when he says, Mind your own affairs, he says, Mind your own business. This connects with a love for believers and is pretty self-explanatory. Remember, the only person that you can control is yourself. These people did not gossip. They were not concerned about other things that were going on in somebody else's life. And if they heard those things, they prayed for those things. So we're often so worried and concerned about others, we forget about what we need to do to honor the Lord and to love others as the Lord loves us. That hurts a little bit. (laughs) So here's like the American Christian checklist. Number one, live quietly. Be still. Nope, failing. Don't talk about others. Mind your own business. Nope, failing. Other people sometimes are just more fascinating than me. And then he says, work with your hands. Now, this is going to come into play when we study uh, 2 Thessalonians. He's going to talk about lazy people. Um, So we're going to get there. We'll unpack this a little bit more when we get there. But working with your own hands is an extension of minding your own business. When you work with your hands, you're self-supporting. You're not a burden to others. We can also uh, be too lazy, right? We can be too restful. Ever met somebody like that? You can do anything with your life. So it can go both ways. That pendulum can go both ways. The call here that Paul says in the last part of verse 11 is to live a balanced life in both work and play, making sure everything you do is done to honor the Lord. Now, the New Testament church came out of the working class. It's really kind of fascinating. If you study church history, uh, the Greeks hated manual labor. Sometimes I think Americans are kind of like Greeks. Um, But uh, they would essentially just give their work over to slaves as much as possible. But Jews held hard work in high esteem. They were almost on the other side. As a matter of fact, Jewish boys were taught a trade regardless of if their family had a lot of money or a little money. You didn't have a choice. You just did it. 
So Paul didn't just preach this message, but if you go back, this is really interesting because this ties into what he's already said. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul has already set this example of working with his hands when he was in Thessalonica. It's almost like he's on a mission trip with them. So Paul goes in and he says, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? When it was time to work, we worked. And when it was time to pray, we prayed. And it was time to be together and talk and just enjoy one another's company. We did that too. Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news. Like I said, we're going to unpack this a little bit in 2 Thessalonians. But work itself is a blessing. And working with one's own hands or talents should never be despised by believers. A man willing to work with his hands demonstrates his love for his brothers and sisters as well as being humble himself to provide for his own needs, that he doesn't need to depend on anyone but provides for himself. So all these three traits, Paul says, live a quiet life, love your brothers and sisters in Jesus, be holy. Now, look at verse 12. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I love that passage of scripture. You want to know why? Because he's like, you do these things, people take notice of it. You start doing some of this stuff, people will look at you in a weird way. They're going to wonder, what in the world is with this person? Doesn't gossip about anybody? Does, uh, is the hardest working person at work? Has the most fun outside of work? <laughs> Loves his church or her church? And never participates in anything that would cause them to be impure? I mean, can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine what it would look like for us as a church if all of us were actively participating in these things? Paul essentially says, you win the respect of non-Christians that glorify the Lord. This kind of love is appreciated by everyone. Paul says, if these people persecute you, they're probably persecuting you because they won't be like you. These per- people cause you problems, they're probably causing you problems because they got enough problems of their own. and They don't want to focus their attention on their own problems. Paul places an importance on your testimony as believers before outsiders, which would be the unbelievers. Because this kind of behavior wins the respect of brothers and sisters in Christ. So I just ask, ask the same question I asked this week. I was like, am I like this? I mean, ask your spouse this question. I dare you. Let's see how lunch goes. Here's a better one. Ask your kids. Hey, am I like this? Now, Paul also discouraged Thessalonians from expecting any financial favors from believers simply because they're followers of Jesus. He advocates personal responsibility. He says this is, and he doesn't say it with these words here in this text, but it's said other places in the Bible. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is where we worship the Lord. See, sometimes I think we get here on Sunday morning and we sing songs and we pray together and we read the word together which is great, and we go, that's worship. Really, church, the true worship takes place when you leave those doors. The true test of what you heard this morning takes place when you leave those doors. The true test of what you sang this morning, what you gave this morning, takes place when you leave those doors. Because that's when we put into practice the things that we know to be true from God's word that was given to us. But we can't do it by ourselves. we got to ask the Lord for help. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the fact that it's truth. And thank you for the opportunity to preach your word and to teach your word. Sometimes it's 
Uh-oh, it's not fun, but it's fulfilling, and it's fruitful. And God, we can't do this on our own. We ask that, first and foremost, if people are here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would confess their sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I put my faith in you today. For those of you that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe your fingers are a little too tightly wrapped around the things of this world. And you just ask God, say, Lord, would you just pry my fingers off of those things? Would you fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit? Would his voice be louder than the world's? And mean it. Say, God, would you whisper into my life the things that need to leave? The things that need to leave my home. The things that need to leave my work. The things that I do. Would you eliminate those things and help me to eliminate those things as I walk with you? God, we truly want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we cannot do that by ourselves. So fill us and equip us to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in your name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.